All right, Colossians chapter 3. Last week, we were dealing with family matters. Not only family matters that pertain to the family, but we realize that family needs to matter to us because it matters to God. And uh, we focused our attention last time on wives and husbands. From the scriptures, what he says, what he has designed, and what we are to do in obedience to those things. The, uh, we, we dealt with the aspect of submission and love. And when you got right down to it, both husband and wife are to submit to each other and to love one another in the love of Christ. This morning, we want to focus our attention now upon children and parents. And again, there is a design that God has laid out for us to follow. The focus of our attention in that today will be on the issue of obedience. And so as we begin reading, we want to start in verse 20. And I'll read down through verse 25 because I want to kind of set up what's coming after this. Children, obey your parents in all things. And I emphasize the last three words there, in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. And, and I wanted this to be clear, that as we're reading this, this applies to husbands and wives, sons and daughters, and servants. Whatsoever you do, as a husband and a wife, as a father and a mother, as a son and a daughter, whatsoever you do, do heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. If there were a whole encyclopedia written that contained God's commandments to children and young people, it wouldn't really matter how many volumes could be compiled. That complete collection would be reduced to one simple statement. Obey your parents in everything. Obey your parents in everything, in all things. There is a necessity, it's a necessary need for young families, young fathers and mothers who have grown up in the age of Dr. Spock, and modern parenting techniques. By the way, Dr. Spock, not Mr. Spock. Big difference. We're talking about Dr. Benjamin Spock, who back in the 60s and 70s was, was coming up and stirring a lot of uh, stuff up on, on the issues of, of parenting and how you're supposed to bring children up and not bring children up and so on. 
Well, this has affected families to this day. So if you've grown up in that age of Dr. Spock and these modern parenting techniques, you need to realize how different, how different the Word of God treats the issues of children and parents. The Word of God treats it completely different. I read an article recently entitled Modern Parenting versus Traditional Parenting. And the author begin, or began with these thoughts. And I quote, There is child raising and there is parenting. America replaced the former, child raising, with the latter, parenting, in the 1970s, and it's been downhill ever since. My mother, a single parent during most of my formative years, was not parenting me. She was raising me, bringing me up. She did not, therefore, get down to my level when she spoke to me. Both literally and figuratively, I looked up to her. That's where I wanted to be, up there, where she was. As did nearly all 1950s parents, mom raised me according to traditional understandings of children and parental responsibility that had been handed down, relatively unchanged from generation to generation since the dawn of human history. She was the boss, for example. She was not trying to be liked by me, much less my friend. Nonetheless, she was affectionate, funny, and always there when need arose. Largely because it was clear that she was my superior in every sense of the term and that I depended on her as opposed to the other way around, I respected her. I don't think today's mothers are clear on how important it is that their children, especially their sons, see them as powerful, capable, albeit loving women. But then, today's parents are parenting, which is all about being liked by your child. The author went on to make a number of insightful points concerning the difference between the two types of parenting, but one last statement couldn't, couldn't escape my attention, and it is this. He wrote, Everything is topsy-turvy in parenting. For example, a child who was merely raised was expected to pay attention to adults, beginning with his parents, and do what adults told him to do. By contrast, the parented child is the center of his parents' attention, and they are constantly looking for Facebook-worthy things to do with and for him. Wow. That really shows quite a contrast in what parenting was and what parenting is. Now, <clears throat> I wouldn't even begin to know whether this author is a believer or has a specific spiritual or religious background, but, but he seems to have ha a handle, he seems to have a handle on, on the dilemmas that are hurting so many modern families today as it pertains to child rearing, and that even hurting many families in the church today. And yet when we consider that 
that the God who designed the foundational components for the human family, man, woman, male, female, husband, wife, father, mother, has also designed perfectly the means by which the family is to be maintained according to the Lord's order and authority, which, by the way, is always good. So this morning, as we look at our text, we realize that Paul deals with two specific issues in two verses. In verse 20, he deals with parental rule. Parental rule. Colossians 3 verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So it is a significant point to make that the foundation for biblical parenting involves much more than just simply raising a child. Fathers and, and mothers, whether together or as single parents in their homes, are directly responsible to the Lord. For more than just providing the basic necessities of life, food, shelter, protection. It is truly a matter of embracing and implementing God's standards as our own that we are able to produce quality character that is different from children's natural leanings and tendencies. That is such an important matter for us today. We need to embrace and implement God's standards as our own so that we will produce in our children quality character apart from the natural leanings and tendencies. Don't forget a few things. Remember Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every one of us as well as our children, each and every one of us was born in sin after the fall. Every child born to Adam and Eve, born in sin. There was only one on this earth that was not born in sin, and that was Jesus Christ himself. But all have sinned, which means there is a tremendous need to shape a character, to shape a life that will eventually one day by our character and by our work reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think also of Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Oh, how different it is to hear modern parenting being taught today especially some of the more extreme views of letting our children just grow their own way, letting them find themselves. That's idiotic. By the way, it's insane. And who's going to allow a child to do that anyway? You still have to guide them. You still have to keep them from doing things that are going to harm them. Train up a child implies something. They need to know where to go. 
Oh, but if they want to become this or they want to become that, maybe they don't feel like what they are. Maybe they feel like they want to be somebody else or they want to be something else. Do you see how insane that is? So as in all things, we must turn to the word of God for instruction. Especially in the area of child rearing. Parental rule is the first circle of authority in God's moral government of this world. It is in the home that children are first confronted with a fact of authority and learn their first lessons in obedience. This is why Paul says, in all things. But who really said in all things? The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit said that we are to train them in all things and that they are to be obedient in all things. In matters such as conduct, dress, even nutrition. In matters such as faith and morals. In everything, parents under the authority of God themselves are to set the standards, define the limits, and enforce the rules, certainly based upon the authority of Scripture. That is of great importance, on the authority of Scripture. But folks, every parent under the authority of God themselves is able to set, every parent is able to set a standard and define limits. Why? Because they are given to us in the Word of God. And to enforce the rules. Parents stand in the place of God with very small children. You are to show them Jesus Christ from the very moment that they come into this world. Now a child has to learn respect. A child has to learn fear and obey parental authority. This learning prepares the way for other and larger types of authority as the child grows older and his fears of influence enlarge. In other words, if a child does not learn obedience to parental authority, he or she will grow up to disrespect all authority. They will disrespect the authority of schools. They will disrespect the authority of law enforcement. They will disrespect the authority even of God himself. So getting back to our text, Paul writes that children are to obey their parents in all things, which is well-pleasing unto the Lord. The word obey is the Greek word hupakoete, which means to heed, it means to hearken, and it means to comply and to follow the directions or instructions of some guide. As a parent, you are the guide. When parents guide and direct the child, the child is to obey. The Lord takes a very serious view of disrespect for parental authority. Now we're coming upon an, an area where I said I mentioned last week, we're not going to be dealing with politically correct issues, right? And you all said, okay, that's good. All right, so I'm taking your word for it. This is where we get into some really deep struggles here. So in the Hebrew scriptures, a rebellious son was to be brought before a magistrate and condemned to death. I mean, the world is 
raging at this. But listen carefully. Exodus 21 verse 17. Now notice this comes right off of the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses to give to the children of Israel. And a chapter later it says, And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. But what commandment does that refer to? It refers to the fourth commandment that says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Which is, of course, as, as, as Paul mentions it, a commandment, the, the, the first commandment with a promise, the promise of long life. It's important that people understand the seriousness of all the commandments. But think about this. This is the first commandment that is, that is given concerning others. Fifth commandment. He that curses his father his mother shall be put to death. The first thing that a secular humanist, people who would really like uh, cringe when they hear this kind of stuff, would say uh, would, would be that uh, this was an extremely harsh sentence. Oh, that's just, that's just too harsh. And therefore the scriptures, religious people who believe that and any laws based on that should be disavowed. They should be denied and renounced and rejected. And by the way, I'm not standing up here saying, oh, by the way, bring them, you know, your kids misbehave, bring them to us, we'll just stone them. I'm not saying that, am I? Would you please pay attention? Please listen. Yeah, we need to disavow it because that's being extreme and unusually cruel. But it needs to be understood that God declared rebellion, which that's what it is when you hate your father and your mother because you've you rebelled against God's law to love them and to honor them. He has declared rebellion to be as the sin of witchcraft. And what is witchcraft but choosing to follow another God? Choosing to use the devil's tools and the devil's ways to reject the God who created us in the image of God. Saul was chosen by the people. Saul was not chosen by God to be king of Israel. He began somewhat fearful of God. But later on, his true colors would become evident. And when having pursued the Amalekites and destroyed the Amalekites and, and, and had been given the commandment to destroy all of the Amalekites and not to take anything that belonged to the Amalekites and King Agag, He took the livestock as spoils. Because that's what, king, that's what kings did. They, they would go and take the spoils, you know, in, in, in most cases, unless God said, don't do it. So what is this now? What has it now become? An issue of 
obedience. And we're told in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, that Samuel said, Hath, hath the Lord, uh, Samuel, who is now confronting Saul, saying, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And then he goes on to say, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. Obedience is a serious issue with God. Especially with those who are supposed to be in the know. We might become fearful in knowing that God has not changed. God has not changed since the declaration of his law. But the harshness that is the law has been outmatched by God's grace. The harshness of the law has been outmatched by God's grace, by his undeserved favor as seen in the parable of the prodigal son. And we're not going to read through the whole passage in, in Luke 15, but most of you are familiar with that story of a man who had two sons and his youngest son decided, you know, it, it was time to, you know, get out of the house. Go spread his wings out a little bit. Get out from under that uh, oppressiveness that he felt on his life. But what he did was, was really offensive when he went to his father and he said, Listen, I want my inheritance now. And of course, with two sons, that would mean that the youngest son would get one portion of, of an inheritance. It was split actually three ways in this, in this respect. The youngest son would get one portion of that, and the, the oldest son would get two portions. But because his father was pretty wealthy, getting one portion was pretty good. So he took it. And he took it and he spent it on prodigal living, wantonness, on himself. As the old saying used to be, on wine, women, and song. Until one day he had lost it all. It happens. I had been reading a lot of stories about people who have won the lottery. There are more sad stories than there are happy ones. But he lost it all and ended up having to do all kinds of work. Eventually, he ended up on a pig farm feeding hogs, sows, and really the only thing that he could eat himself was what they ate. That didn't sound too good. It didn't taste too good. And you didn't smell very good. And you didn't look very good. Everything 
have been destroyed in his life by his own doing. And he began to think on his own. He began to wonder about going back to his father. Of course, he would have probably considered his father as being so strong against him coming back. But he devised a plan that he would come back and and say, you know, to his father, you know, I've blown it and uh, you don't have to take me back, but I know that your servants do well. You're very good to your servants and they have a place to live and a place to eat and they have food to eat and all. And if I could just be your servant. So he's working all of this out. So he finally takes that step and he makes his way to his father's house. The father who's been waiting for him every day. Every day. Because he loved him more than the son ever knew. Because the son was blind to that love. By his own selfishness. At a distance on the horizon, the father finally saw his son. And he ran to him. He ran to him. As we are told in verse 20, he rose, the prodigal son rose, and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You have to have a really quick picture of this. Here's the father running. Now, to run, of course, they wore robes then. They didn't have Adidas, you know, nice stuff, you know, uh, sportswear, you know. He had to pick up his robe and tie it, and then there he goes, running with his skinny legs and all, down the streets of everybody watching him, you know. Where is he going? That was just not done. That was, the, that was totally just a characteristic of a, of a very wealthy man. But yet he, he runs all the way to his son. And notice what, it's, what it says. He fell on his neck. He fell on a dirty, stinky, hog-filled neck. And he kissed him. He kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And he had his speech all prepared, but the father cut him off because it said the father said to his servants, Oh, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. But may I interject except for one. The older brother. The brother who truly became the prodigal. Who complained. Now, that's funny that he would complain because he was already going to give us, get a second portion anyway. I mean, a double portion, I should say, of an inheritance. But it wasn't about that. It was about the heart. And it was not seeing the father either in the way that he should have. How many people are not seeing our father today in the way they, they, that they should? as wise, giving us wisdom, giving us guidance and protection, giving us instruction and peace, 
giving us blessing when we don't deserve it. Now, Jesus himself gives us the greatest examples pertaining to obedience. When he was a boy of 12, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And when the festivities were over, the group from Nazareth had left for home, and Mary and Joseph went a whole day's journey, supposing him to be with a group. You know, they had to travel in groups to protect each other, you know, uh, because of the distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So they thought that uh, Jesus was probably with the group from Nazareth and the Nazareth people had already left. And when they discovered that Jesus wasn't with them, they went back to Jerusalem and combed the city searching for him. And after three days of searching fruitlessly, they found him where they should have looked in the first place, in the temple. They should have known that's where Jesus would be. And then we're told in Luke chapter 2 that Mary scolded him. That had to be hard for Mary. I mean, let's face it, she knew who Jesus was. But he's my son and I need to scold him. So she did, I'm sure very gently probably off to the side so nobody could hear this exchange. And in Luke 2.49, this is what Jesus said to her and to them, actually, because I'm sure Joseph was there. How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Which means, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? You see, by then Jesus knew who his father was and what his father's business was. Not that of a village carpenter, but the work of the cross. Obtaining and securing a judgment-proof salvation for sinners. That's what his business was. And he sat and he taught the scribes. He taught the ones who were the teachers. And they marveled. But we should marvel at this next thought. Because Luke adds in verse 51, these words about Jesus after this incident. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. He went down with them to Nazareth in obedience. He went down with them to Nazareth and was subject unto them. The eternal son of the living God, fully aware, fully aware of who he was, was subject To them. A carpenter and his peasant wife. He put himself under their parental rule, under their parental authority. And what is implied is that he was subject to them in all. 
things. This leads us now from parental rule to parental responsibility. Verse 21 of Colossians 3. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The word for provoke here, the Greek word erethizo, is in this verse means to rouse to anger or to fight. To rouse to a fight, to rouse to an excitement and an irritation because it could also be rendered to excite and to irritate. Often parents forget that their children are what some fathers of old used to call the little people. You know why they call them that? Because they're people too. Children are little people who have thoughts and desires, hopes, faults, and even feelings like adults. They're not mindless objects to be bossed and bullied. Too many people have done that with kids nowadays. We see kids suffer. And the sad thing about that in our day and time is how increasingly the suicide rate is growing in teens and preteens. Painfully growing. That doesn't mean always that the parents aren't doing their their best or that they're doing something. There are those, of course, that do bully their kids. There are those that do boss them around. There's one passage that ties these two verses to the subject at hand. Verses 20 and 21. And that would be Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, our reading this morning. Where Paul said, children obey your parents in the Lord. Now that phrase, in the Lord, is very significant here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. It has to be in the Lord because in the Lord is his word and in his word is the guidance and direction and the light that we need to direct them and guide them. Then we can obey our parents in all things. Verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou may livest long, or that thou mayest live long on the earth. But notice verse 4, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, in the parallel verse to Colossians 3, verse 21, Paul uses a different Greek word uh, for provoke in the Ephesian passage. The word provoke here is the word parorgizo. Here it means to arouse to wrath or anger and to provoke to the point of utter exasperation and resentment. It's it's a deeper form of provocation. Rather than do this, Rather than provoke your children to that point, I'm going to ask you to do something. Actually, I'm not going to ask, I'm going to tell you. Because I don't know if we do this enough with our children today. 
But you need to study your children before you say or do anything. You need to study your children. Parents need to study their children because the growing up process takes every child, of course, through various phases of development. A parent ought to know about these phases and recognize when a child enters each stage. I know that in studying education for my degree, I mean, it, it was, it was an eye-opener realize how many stages kids go through. Probably the same stages I went through, right? Because I was a kid once. Long time ago, but I was a kid once. Went through those terrible twos. The thrashing threes. The formidable fours. Whatever they were. But you have to study. Most importantly, every believing parent, let me emphasize, believing parent needs to know that their children are to have a solid, moral, and biblical foundation on which all other biblical instruction can be built. And they should lay this foundation early. It has to be laid early. Now please understand, I'm so thankful for the teachers in our, in our children's ministry, the teachers in our youth ministry. But that's not where it begins. Their understanding, your children's understanding has to begin in the home. It has to begin with you. It has to begin with what they see of you, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, knowing Jesus. That foundation can be laid early. But don't fret if you don't feel that that has happened. But you need to commit your life to Jesus. Even today, you need to commit your life to Jesus. For them. For their future. For their sake. For their eternal destiny. Scripture reading along with Scripture memorization are very essential. Very essential. Turn to Psalm 119. We're going to read the whole psalm today. Now, there's 22 sections to Psalm 119. Each section is eight verses long. So do the math. We're going to look just at eight verses, verses 9 through 16. Because it begins this way in verse 9. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Now, I can, I'm very assured of this statement I'm going to make to you, but every verse of Psalm 119 has to do in some way to the Word of God. It has to do some way with the, the commandments of God, the laws of God, the statutes of God, the precepts of God. All those words are used in, in describing to us the various levels of God's Word. So wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments, the psalmist says. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How often has that helped us? There should be testimony upon testimony in this place of how what we have remembered of God's word in a time of trouble, in a time of trial, in a time of temptation, how God has helped us because his word has 
been revealed to our hearts and our minds. And we can say, thank you, God, for rescuing me because you gave me the word that I had hidden in me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all thy judgments of thy mouth. Thy judgments, again, are a level of his word to us. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Oh, can we say that today as believers in Jesus Christ? That I will not forget the word of God. There are testimonies here this morning. Testimonies of those of us who have wandered away from God. Wandered far from God. Like the prodigal wanting to spread out our wings a little bit for ourselves. See what we can find. See what we can discover. See what we can explore in the world. Then we find ourselves in a tremendous misery because somehow the Holy Spirit hasn't let us go. And somehow his, his conviction moves so heavily upon our hearts. And then we begin to remember if, it, if at all even one verse of Scripture. And when we remember that, we sink deep in our guilt until we fall on our face and repent and say, Lord God, rescue me. And when he does, he lifts us up and he cleanses us and he dusts us off and he says, stay with me. I've never left you. And we remember never to forget again how precious God's word is. Well, think about this. Back in Colossians chapter 3, having the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, remember verse 16? Along with the filling of the Holy Spirit will enable us to be the persons, the partners, and the parents that the Lord wants us to be. The persons, the individual persons as believers in Jesus Christ, the partners as a husband and a wife, and as parents, as fathers and mothers. And be the people that God wants us to be because of the word of God and the spirit of God. But there's still one more matter of importance toward the children. Notice again back in verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest, lest, lest they be discouraged. The word for discouraged here means to be disheartened. It means to have their spirit broken. Now that, not in a good sense, okay? I'll explain that in a moment. It means to have their spirit broken, in this case, to be made spiritless. That's almost being dead, folks. To be made spiritless. As if to say that they have no spirit whatsoever. That is completely different from the breaking of our spirits in recognizing our sinfulness 
As David mentioned in Psalm 51, verse 17, after his great sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51 is that great prayer of repentance. But notice verse 17 when David said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. In other words, we've come to that realization that we have sinned against God. It breaks our spirit. But God focuses on those who have a broken spirit. And God loves those who have, bro- have, have, have recognized their broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. We bring that heart to the Lord. He doesn't want our riches. He wants our hearts, and he wants them broken so that he can repair them and fix them and strengthen them. Now listen carefully, please. I I want you to pay attention to me. I understand if I use the terminology properly that parents have to break a young child's will. Will you listen? If I use the terminology properly that parents have to break a young child's will, especially when it is set in a defiant mode, But parents must never break their spirit. A constant provoking of a child can produce two opposite reactions. The child can become broken in spirit or belligerent in spirit. Parental responsibility involves setting standards and defining limits and enforcing discipline. But these things need to be done intelligently, they need to be done reasonably, and they need to be done lovingly. Being a parent involves awesome responsibility and ultimately accountability to God himself. You see, where does the world give their accountability to? We know who we are accountable to. That is why we have to walk in the fear of the Lord when dealing with our children when dealing with our families. How fearful Christians have become of the world, not of the Lord, of the world that cannot tolerate what God's word says about this. I mean, it's almost criminal to them. I mean, listen listen to these, these verses. We're almost done here. But listen to these verses that God has given to us for our children. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And you know, those in the world are going, I mean, they're going, ah, they're cringing. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. What about Proverbs 19, verse 18? Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. What about Proverbs 22, verse 15? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You know the pictures that are in people's minds when they hear that? Come here! Thor's hammer. Boom. 
But are we paying attention to what God is saying to us in these Proverbs? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Why? For all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And parents, we are to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, withhold not correction from the child. You know what the world is telling you today? Don't correct them. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. I, I, I can tell you, that, that, that was said to me many times. You're not going to die. That's when I learned what child rearing was. And, I, and guess what? I didn't die. I learned. And then I loved and respected my parents for that. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, don't take that like some people do. I want to beat you right into heaven. That's not the attitude. That's wrong. Parents, you need to humble yourself. I know this, this is old cliche-ish stuff, but this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Anybody ever hear that? I used to believe that before. It's going to hurt me more. Yeah, right. But it's all the attitude of the heart. It does hurt you more. Because it'll hurt you even more if they decide that they want to go to hell on their own. Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Folks, this is about a name, a name that is to have integrity, a name that is to have character. A family name is important. Rather than character, too many family names have gone the way of the reputation of a child. child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Let me close with two passages from Deuteronomy chapters 4 and 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 it says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Teach them. Teach the things that pertain to the word of God. Teach the word of God. Live the word of God. Love the word of God. And then lastly, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We hear this always when we dedicate our children to the Lord. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. You know what this is going to lead us to understand? That it is not just one little, one little five-minute thing, you know. Uh, it, it is living the word. Not just a little two-minute devotion. It is living the word. 
Teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as fretlets between thine eyes. This is the religious portion of the Jews who are to have the word of God on their hands and upon their head. Do the word. Believe the word. Thou shalt bind them for a sign, you see. Verse 9, and they shall write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. It all comes back to the word of God. And God has given us his word. And what are many people doing in churches today? Setting it aside. But without this, our families will fall apart. Hope in, hope in the Lord. Hope in God. Hope in his word. Trust in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to the Lord your life, your heart, your parental responsibility. Surrender them to the Lord that he would make them stronger. Surrender your children each and every day to the Lord, no matter how old they are. Children are children. Even if you have children, you're children. And even if you have children who have children and you still have parents, you're still children. Family matters to God. And it needs to matter to us. Because we don't know what the next step is outside of this place. For any of us. But we want to be right with God. So that we can be together when Jesus comes.